Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Hello, and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by a legend in the game, uh, someone with Sales Ops experience at companies like Adobe, Snap Finance, and Qualtrics. Actually, his job title at Qualtrics was Special Operations, so I'm super excited to jump into that. Austin, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. And so what we're going to be doing today is slightly different. Um, we're going to be obviously learning about Austin's back history, and then we, we'll be jumping around to some slightly different questions. There'll be a different experience from the normal ones, but I think there's massive value in Austin's mind. But first, obviously, we need to understand how you first got into sales operations. Sure. Well, uh, I got into sales operations nearly by uh, accident, although it was fortuitous. Uh, I was working at Qualtrics uh, in marketing, heading up product marketing and demand generation in 2012. And uh, Qualtrics hired a new head of sales, worldwide sales named John D'Agostino, who insisted in having a strong sales operations function, at which time Qualtrics didn't have sales operations. And Jared Smith, one of the founders of Qualtrics, uh, recommended that I move from marketing uh, into sales to build that function. And so I got the chance to work with John D'Agostino and learn about sales operations and build that function in the Qualtrics environment, which was a once-in-a-career experience. Why do you think they chose you for that role? Uh, there's a, probably a couple of things that may have contributed to it. Uh, I had worked in B2B sales and marketing for over 10 years prior to that time. So I had touched pieces of the revenue operations function. Uh, I have a background in uh, strategy and finance, worked at McKinsey, and then tend to be a bit of a process and data guy. And they probably saw that I was not superly uh, well cut out for marketing and that those skill sets might be better used in sales operations. So that's my guess. Makes total sense. Um, looking back over these seven years, what if you could just pick out like one lesson that you'd want to share with somebody who's just entering sales ops, what, what would you say? Uh, gosh, it's hard to pick one. I would probably say that as the head of sales operations or revenue operations is the functions evolving, your relationship with and partnership with the chief revenue officer is paramount to your success and to that executive success as well. 
Uh, in my experience at Qualtrics, working with John Agostino, he and I were very different in terms of background and personalities, but we were able to forge a true partnership that we complemented each other and we worked effectively together. And that is what I would credit uh, much of my personal success to uh, in the function I learned from him. He was a great mentor for me. And so I think that kind of relationship is paramount. I think sometimes there can be adversarial relationships or a, a very unequal relationship between those two functions. And I felt that uh, having that peer-to-peer and partnership was was fantastic and something I'm very thankful for. Sure. So it's the f- focus on developing a productive relationship with the leadership. Uh, correct. And especially the senior person, because if you get the right function, a great sell, a chief revenue officer, a great head of sales is going to have skill sets and capabilities that generally may not align well with what is needed in sales operations, the analytics, the process, sort of the more rigorous thinking, as opposed to the relationships and the strategy and, and maintaining relationship with hundreds and hundreds of salespeople, each trying to optimize their own book of business or their own team. And so there are relatively few people in the overall revenue organization that can see broadly and try to, to help everyone and try to maximize the benefit of the whole. And you need a great uh, partner to do that. And I had that in, in, in John D'Agostino. And I think that's critical going forward. And I had that uh, to a degree at, at Stamp Finance with uh, their new chief sales officer as well. So having that great partnership where you collaborate, I think has been key. Sure. Looking at the uh, the tech stack, I know right now you're you're consulting with other organizations, right? So I, I'm assuming you've seen a vast variety of different tools. When, when you're building that out, when should that investment be made, or, or how should you sequence bringing these tools together? Uh, figuring out what to buy and when to buy it, I think, is a real challenge for sales leaders because. There are so many platforms out in the market. They're uh, changing rapidly. And there are some great products out there. And there's products out there that are sort of nice to haves. And then the other thing that can happen is what you start investing in initially may not be able to scale with you. It may not have the capabilities. So it feels like it's an evolving, it's evolving challenge. I think uh, the, the key thing, of course, the base of everything is getting the right CRM. I think that that is a easier decision than some of the other uh, technologies, although it can be the most expensive. Uh, so getting the right CRM in place. And then I think right along with that is uh, spending the money to get good data and clean up the data that you have. This can be data around particularly your accounts and so that you can run good territories and uh, coverage models. And then making sure that you put in the control so that data stays clean as your company grows. And that's where I've seen Fast-growing companies get into a lot of trouble and make some really big mistakes is because they haven't got their data in a good place where they can use it to drive decisions. Uh, The next thing I think that's becoming increasingly important, especially once you get over 100 reps or so, is to have a very good and effective enablement automation solution. That's uh, the major players like a Seismic or a Highspot or a Showpad, and then combined with a learning management system because as you scale trying to get the right content, whether it's client-facing or internal training-facing to the right reps at the right time in a digestible format, uh, is a real lever for productivity 
but oftentimes it becomes an afterthought and then it's very difficult to clean up and develop the habits to help reps learn little bit by little bit as you hire and scale a team. Makes total sense. Like making sure the data is good, making sure well, yeah, the data in the CRM is good, but also the data that the reps need to learn from is good yeah. and organized. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got, you, you, you think about the you know, key metrics of what, what's going to make your Excel team successful. It's the, it's, it's hitting their numbers. How many people hit their numbers, their productivity. And so whatever you can do at scale to drive and increase rep productivity is going to help the sales team. It will help your sales leadership team. It will help you keep your sanity as a revenue operations leader. It will help the company. So that always, for me, needs to be the sort of the guiding metrics and principles. How productive can I make my sales team? And those things are ways to make that happen. Yeah. The Going back to the data quality point, obviously, it's like putting good data into CRM from whatever data provider, but what are the things that companies can do to improve that data ongoing? So um, I think this is a tough one, and I don't think there's a silver bullet. I think that there are a relatively small number of people in a company that truly care about accurate data and will do what it takes to make that happen. And unfortunately, most of the salespeople that you will work, work with you do not share that passion. And so I think you have to invest in systems and people and teams to help force that data to be accurate and limit the ability of the salespeople to either input inaccurate data or have a robust auditing and correction process to fix what they put in. Now, of course, notes and things that happen with deals, that can be a little more uh, rep-directed. But the less data they have to put in, and then what's put in is accurate, either it's audited or put in by analysts or interns or whatever you need to do. You just need to think about this is a systems problem and think about how do I make sure the inputs that I rely on to make decisions in the company are as clean as possible, and then work in it. To, you have to have people, and you can, you can buy software or use software or outside resources, but you're going to have to pay and invest resources to keep that data clean. But the benefits of that to you over time, especially as your company grows, are enormous. And it's very the larger you get, it's harder and harder to clean that up. You don't want to be a company with 500 reps or 1,000 reps that's still working with very, very dirty data. Uh, it's just It becomes almost impossible to tame. So start early. Going back to Qualtrics, um, and I'm super interested about this experience because I assume that it was some relatively fast growth. What were the core challenges that you experienced at the sales ops team and what did you do, do about them? Well, uh, we, had an, uh, we had a number of really interesting challenges. We sometimes call them success challenges because the core business was very strong. We had an amazing inside sales team uh, at at Qualtrics based in the Provo office, and then it was expanded across the globe. Uh, one of the challenges we had is trying to find a, the right balance between providing career opportunities for our inside sales team and then helping Qualtrics sell up market into enterprise and thinking about how to sell into larger companies and generate bigger deals. So that was a challenge around hiring, around the types of profiles that we needed to hire for enterprise. We had to balance hiring people that maybe had outside experience, but that were unfamiliar with the Qualtrics product and uh, sales process versus promoting and developing 
very capable, but generally fairly junior salespeople that had come up through the ranks from just a few years out of college. Uh, we had to figure out how to sell value and how to uh, go from a very feature function type oriented sell to a strategic sell. Uh, gosh, we had to rethink how we priced and packaged our products, how we did our deals, how we did proposals. There was a number of uh, we had to hire a team of sales engineers, which we, we were able to find a great leader and build a great team uh, globally. But there were a number of pieces of ingredients that we had to invest in and develop organically to transition Qualtrics from a highly transactional, very effective inside motion and keep that magic and keep that goodness, but also transfer to the enterprise side. Um, that, was a, that was a challenge. Uh, we... There were territory implications. That was that was kind of a, just a large ongoing uh, development effort. Uh, trying to figure out how to set up uh, Qualtrics's pricing and packaging and discount controls and eventual CPQ systems was another multi-year effort. Uh, we started out with you know very few pricing packages. Reps pretty much picked the prices they wanted to. We processed them in uh, manual entries in the ERP system. We didn't have a good data set of what we had. And so uh, over several years, we were able to make some sustained changes and improvements there. But it was not without pain. And we, we made a few mistakes. And, and I was the cause of several of them. And so that was, uh, that was a growing experience for us to, to try to get a better sense for our pricing and packaging. Uh, thinking, um, you know, another thing uh, that I mentioned earlier in the call was just trying to figure out how to how to get enablement right. You know, when you have one office and everybody can walk up and down the aisle or up the stairs to talk to a team and uh, collaborate and, and learn, train in person, that's pretty easy. That's pretty straightforward. When you have uh, multiple offices across the globe and you're trying to standardize the sales process and you're trying to have more products, getting the right content to the right rep at scale took us a couple of iterations and uh, that was a we learned a lot through that process. So those were some of the big challenges we faced. Yeah, just on that final one, in terms of, for rolling out uh, engagement software and an LMS, I assume, throughout the whole of Qualtrics, what kind of time period did you go from like not having that to having that and it actually working, just roughly? We had several at-bats to making that happen. Um, and I think our ultimate uh, success in making it happen, which took us about four months to, to prepare and roll out and then several more months to get adoption, was really because we had failed at it a couple of times before. And so um, there, were, there were a few things that became key for us to make that, to make that happen. The first is that we had to understand, um, it had to be, we had to realize how much pain it was causing our salespeople to not be able to find things. And, and that, that pain, which we, we were able to surface through ad hoc feedback, but also re regular uh, surveys from our, the field, gave us sort of the, got us the budget and senior management support to spend six figures on a solution. And before we had tried to do it with free software, I think we tried to do it on the Qualtrics platform, we tried to do it on WordPress, we tried to sort of do it on um, a shoestring budget. Uh, with not adequate support. And we had underestimated, uh, Tom, the uh, amount of difficulty that that would take. And so um, we finally addressed it uh, at a more senior level. We got a cross-functional team from our client success function, from our marketing function, our sales enablement, and our sales team to really understand 
what are the core reasons we have seven different places where reps can go find content? Why is it that Google Drive is not going to be a solution for us? Why is it? And, and like we, we address sort of, here's, we, we, the goal was pretty clear. We want reps to be able to find what they need quickly and get at the clients. That was, that's easy to agree on. But what was really challenging was to try to problem solve and understand why was that not happening? And what were the requirements that we were needed to make it happen? And so I would say it took us probably three years from our first try of knowing that was a problem to getting a solution rolled out. And then still, since I left, they've made better improvements. They ended up replacing the platform because we ended up having needing better search capabilities. So it is, it requires multiple coats of paint, but my, my, my lesson learned is to really understand the root cause uh, around getting everyone to agree that we're going to post it in the same place, having control over the governance, making the user interface easy for reps, keeping the content in bite-sized pieces, et cetera. And uh, I'm happy to offline with any listener if they want to know more details. Thank you so much for that. Now, you mentioned at the start that one of the core learnings you've had over the seven years has been solidify a good relationship with leadership. And so the question now is both how do you recommend a sales ops person doing that? But then also the same question, but for the reps. So how can a salesperson develop that uh, amazing relationship with the rep? So let me make sure you have the question. How does a sales ops organization or leader get great relationship with leadership? But then how does how do the reps also get that relationship with leadership? And if it's sales ops to leadership, leadership and sales ops to reps. Okay. Let me go with the first one and then I'll, I'll, you'll have to refresh my memory. So I... Yeah. You know, I, I uh, over the time at Qualtrics, I think there were a few things that uh, my team and I tried to do to build that relationship. The first thing is that we tried, we made an effort to tell the truth and be upfront and be data driven. And I think, uh, depending on the sales leader uh, that you're working with in their sales team, every sales leader is trying to optimize his or her patch whether it's their team or their region. And they often have very good reasons to understand, to, to want something. And I think as a sales ops functional leader, you are trying to serve them and make them be successful, but also do it in a way that doesn't jeopardize or adversely impact the overall sales organization. And so I think in those conversations you have with a sales manager or with a regional leader or a country leader, you need to have... Um, you need to explain understandingly and listen. That's off. It goes without saying listen, but also to help help them understand. You understand each other to see the big picture and the pros and cons and the trade-offs they're inherent in nearly every decision that you make. Uh, we, I think, found success in, in, in being candid, being respectful, listening. I made a personal effort to visit the different offices, especially overseas, and make regular visits there, which every single time I went there, Tom, I would come back with more empathy and more understanding for what the local offices were dealing with and why what I may have thought of as a good global solution was probably not ideal and how I needed to iterate. Uh, so time, uh, those were some things that... Uh, that we did, I, you know, we, we, we messed up sometimes, you know, I have a personal preference for lots of structure and order and process. And at times I swung the pendulum too far and I had to come back 
Um, but I think over time we built a, a function that would scale. We, you know, we had 800 reps and 40 sales ops professionals, um, kind of the time of the IPO. So, uh, it was, there were a lot of people and a, a lot of, you know, a lot of back and forth, but those are some things that I think contributed to great trust with the sales leaders. Now you can repeat the second half and I'll listen even more carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how can a sales, well, a sales ops professional form a good relationship with a rep? Ah, so I, I, I have some great examples of learning from that from some of the people on my own team. So uh, I had a, a couple of people that worked on my team that worked with designing territories, uh, Rob Wood and Cody Guyman. And one of the things that territories are always tricky because to give a, to get, you want to get territories that are equal and fair, but it's, it's a zero sum game in many cases. You take away from one to give to another. And one of the things that uh, Cody and Rob and then Rob Stanger, who managed the team overall, did a great job of was to make the sales manager more involved in the process. Earlier on, earlier on, we kind of just did it in sort of at the high level. Yeah, it makes sense on an Excel spreadsheet or whatnot. And we learned over time that getting, provide, getting input from the rep and from the manager, especially, who could then balance the trade-offs among his or her teams was very important. And that helped us get trust. The other thing that we uh, did with, you know, success many times, not as many as probably some of the reps wanted, was to be responsive on reports and dashboards for teams and then to investigate discrepancies. If uh, someone says, I can't access this report, I can't, I don't understand it, truly work with them to help them understand why it's designed the way it is. And we found that there were relatively few times that making time to sit down one-on-one with a salesperson was a great way to develop trust, but also build awareness in the sales team that the sales ops team can be on your side. And over time, we got better at being seen more as a collaborator. I think earlier on, there was a little bit of reticence and opposition just because we needed to put in a lot of structure and process when there had really been not very much beforehand. That makes total sense. Um, the, the final question often is, if you could take one sales ops person for lunch, whether you, you know them or not, um, who would you choose? Uh, you know, uh, there is a really capable leader of sales ops that I uh, met several years ago named Hillary Headley, who is the head of sales ops at Zoom. She may have been interviewed already, but uh, I would really like to and probably should reach out to her. I can't imagine what she and her team have gone through not only from their time of their uh, growth and IPO, but then through COVID, just to see the, the, the exponential change and structure of what they will have gone through. I think that would be a very interesting lunch discussion. And uh, I should reach out. And Hillary, if you hear me, maybe you'll beat me to it. But uh, that would be really fun. Yeah, I mean, that would be an incredible story to tell. Um, before we finish, Austin, I'd actually like for you to share a little bit more about the work you're doing now. So Unicorn RevOps, um, what, what, what are you doing? What, why should people reach out to you? Sure. Well, uh, having so after having a great experience at Qualtrics and a, a very intense year and a half of Snap Finance helping build the sales ops function and, and turn the sales org around in many ways, I thought it would be great to work with uh, fast-growing startup companies to help them develop the foundation of revenue ops. And so I consult with uh, companies generally in this tech space. Uh, my, my, my targets are basically two types of companies. One is a company with like 25 to 30 reps 
that has product market fit and wants to put in place the right foundation. So when they grow to 100 or 250 reps, they don't have to make painful changes that are really expensive and hurt morale. So sort of the ounce of prevention approach. And then the second group of companies would be those that are maybe at 100, 200 reps that are really growing. And they're in that stage where they're like, my gosh, this is happening so fast. I need help. I need to, I need, I would love to fix the problems I have and avoid future ones. And I, I have some great experience that they can draw on and, and love to, to coach or roll up my sleeves and help on a project to help those companies learn from some experience I've had. And so I'm doing that and, and uh, it's been great so far. Very, very fun. For sure. So if anybody is listening and is in either of those two phases, then uh, around this podcast or somewhere, you'll see a link to Austin where you can reach out and have a chat. Um, so Austin, I want to thank you for, for a very honest view of your of the past seven years experience with a lot of gems or wisdom, I'm sure, for the audience. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. It's been fun. Thanks for the time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified Podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com. 